Father God, we sing to you, we glorify you, we're grateful for who you are. You are worthy this Christmas season, and so we sing and proclaim Noel. We love you, King Jesus. Come on, church, all across the state, would you put your hands together, maybe give them a shout. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So good to see you. Before you grab a seat, why don't, you, why don't you turn, give somebody a high five, a handshake, a fist bump, and a merry, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of those on our campuses today. And if you're joining us online, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. You can grab a seat. We're excited that you're here. Let me make a couple of uh, statements up front. One is uh, so honored that you come out in the rain of today and, uh, and hang out with us across the state. Hey, can, we, can we give our greeting team that was out in the parking lot with umbrellas a hand? Making sure that, man, so grateful for our volunteer teams that are here and the production team and everybody that's done this has, has been fantastic on all of our campuses and so grateful for that. If you're our guest, we welcome you. If you came because a friend invited you from work or maybe a, a, a classmate from school or whatever got you here today, we're just so honored that you would be here. Come on, Anderson Campus, would you help us welcome anybody that's here for the very first time or on our campuses? We're so grateful. Uh, we hope you'll let us know that you're here, and we hope you'll join us next year in 2022 as we continue building church. Uh, the activated church is the hope of the world. We believe that. And uh, for those of you that call New Spring Church home, I want to tell you, uh, we've been talking about this overflow season, the overflow offering, and I want to thank many of you who have already gotten way involved, and man, we have a generous church, and so we articulated a $3.5 million goal this overflow season uh, to help us accelerate building a permanent campus for our Aiken campus. And as I'm standing up here this morning, we've already seen and received over $2 million towards the overflow offering. So I just wanted to celebrate that with you. It's such a big deal. So thank you if you've already given, and thank you for those of you that will pray about and join us in that. We Again, we believe there's a lot of things you could get excited and happy about and uh, partner with, but nothing more powerful. And nothing that will echo through eternity like the local church. We believe it's the hope of the world. So uh, with that being said, I hope you got your Bible. If you do, why don't you throw them open to the book of John chapter 1. That's where the sermon's from today. If you don't have your Bible and you want to uh, download the app, we'll have all the notes there preloaded. Or maybe that's your preferred way to, to, to check out the sermon. We've got them there. And uh, John chapter 1, this is our third week of a series that we are calling Messiah, Hope in the Darkness. Uh, last week, Pastor Clayton King preached a fantastic message on hope, and the week before, Pastor Dan Leanne did that, so it's my turn to jump on this, and just let me revisit for those of you that might be joining us. This word Messiah is something that maybe you've heard before, it's kind of common nomenclature, but it's an Old Testament word that was referenced over 400 times in the Old Testament, any time that... God, through a prophet or, or through circumstance, wanted to point his people to hope, he would, he would use the word Messiah, the anointed one, the, the king who was going to come. He would talk about the Messiah 400 times in the Old Testament. It was talked about. If you move to the New Testament, the New Testament equivalent is the word Christ. So Messiah in the Old and Christ in the New, and, and Christ is uh, over 500 times used in the New Testament. When you combine those two, the entire scripture has the word Messiah or Christ in it over 1,000 times. And so 1,000 times, the God of the Bible is saying, here's where you can put your hope. Here's where hope comes from. If you're looking for hope this Christmas season, if you want it to be more than just a a thin word that people kind of talk about around the Christmas holiday, you need to know where your hope is. 
Our hope, check this out, our hope always trends with, with where we've placed our hope. And so if you find yourself here today and you feel like you're, you're depleted of hope, it may be that you perhaps have placed your hope somewhere that, that's not going to be able to actually give you hope. And so the entirety of this service, the entirety of this gathering is to invite you to put your hope in Jesus Christ, in Jesus the Messiah, the, the one we sing about. And so what I'm going to do today is, is I'm going to show you four pictures of hope from John's gospel. And uh, John, when he wrote his gospel, we actually know this historically, it was the last gospel written. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John was the, the last living disciple, the last one that walked with Jesus to still be alive uh, at the, at the uh, end of this uh, space. And he got to write the book of John, having already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. So he's going to fill in with color some things that the other guys in the, those are known as the synoptics, didn't write about. And he's going to show us, right at the beginning of his gospel, four reasons to hope. Now, before I get into the text, I want to just talk a bit about Christmas shopping. How many of you are already done? We're like six days out. How many of you are done? How many of you are excited to get started on your Christmas shopping? All right, I'm in this camp. I've got stuff still to do, uh, and uh, we've got kids at my house. I've got a, a seven, a five, and a two, and so we're in like the fun years of Christmas right now, and there's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of everybody we meet stops and asks our kids, what are you asking for Christmas? And y'all remember being that age where you just had no constraint on what you asked for? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, I mean, they, they don't know how much money is or what it's worth, its value, and so my kids are like throwing the biggest Christmas expectations out there. And I've learned a phrase as a dad, all right? Maybe you've used this phrase before. Maybe you've even heard the phrase. The phrase is, don't get your hopes up, all right? I mean, just, just being honest. So my, my girls, when they ask for things like ponies and unicorns, I smile at them and say, baby, don't, don't get your hopes up, right? Uh, maybe you're a teenager and you've been asking for a, a new car. Mom and dad, practice it with me. What do you tell them if they're asking for a brand new car? They saw the commercial with the red bow right out front. You look at them, you say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But don't get your hopes up, right? Don't get your hopes up. Uh, my kids right now are asking for a dog, okay? I love dogs. Anybody else love dogs? I'm a big dog fan. Yeah, dog people. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to really make friends here. We're also cat people in my house. Let me just go on the record and say that too. So they're not like enemies at my house, okay? Uh, but we've got three chickens and a cat already, and we still have a little boy who poops in his pants. So we're not getting a dog until that problem gets solved. So when our kids ask for, can we get a dog? I tell them, hey, um, don't get your hopes up, right? You're with me. There's a spirit of don't get your hopes up in the world, isn't there? Like how many times have we hoped that the, uh, the coronavirus was just going to stop? Woo! <laughs> and then there's another variant. And so we kind of, you know, we want and hope for the best, but we also understand the reality of not getting our hopes up. Uh, midterm elections next fall. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Cryptocurrency. Going to solve all your problems for retirement. Hey, don't get your... Hopes up, right? Stock market, don't get your hopes up. Career, don't get your hopes up. Um, uh, th this shot or that shot or this shot or this booster, don't get your hopes up. Am I speaking anybody's language right here? Don't get your hopes up. There's a spirit of don't get your hopes up, but I'm here to say to you, New Spring Church, when you open up the scripture, God does not tell us anything other than get your hopes up. That's the gospel message at Christmas. He invites us to get our hopes up. 
And he doesn't, listen, God is not a God to overpromise and underdeliver. Anybody can testify to that today in New Spring Church? He is a God who actually, in all reality, he overpromises and then overdelivers. And the gospel story, the Christmas story, is an invitation to get your hopes up. And so here's a definition, biblical definition of what hope is, okay? You ready for the definition? Hope is just simply a joyful expectation for the future. Wouldn't you want to grab a hold of that for 2022? A joyful expectation for the future? Like, I'm not just talking about joy to the world, Christianese language, or Christmas time, we talk about hope, but like a real hope that tangibly impacted the way you went to work tomorrow, or the way you go to school next semester, or the way you approach the, the, the career choice, where you really have an opportunity to have hope up so you have a joyful expectation for your future. Well, John's going to show us four beautiful pictures in his gospel of why we can get our hopes up. And if you are excited about having more hope next year than you did this year and you're ready for this one, say amen. All right, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. Right at the beginning, John opens up his letter to the church about the good news of Jesus. And he says, hey, I want to give you a reason you can get your hopes up. Here it is. John 1, 1 through 5. Reason number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and look at this, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John writes some really, really powerful statements here, and he tells us that we can get our hope up, if you're looking for just a a salient through line. It's we can get our hopes up because hope is revealed in God's cosmic creation. Hope is revealed in God's cosmic creation. Where, where Matthew and Luke start the Christmas story in the manger, John goes all the way back to in the beginning. And then maybe you recognize those words if you've been around the scriptures because John's gospel starts the way the Old Testament starts. The first three words of Genesis, anybody know them? In the beginning. The first three words of John's gospel, in the beginning. He wants us to connect the reality of everything we have ever seen in creation. Before it existed, there was a God who created it, and there was a Messiah who was there that by it created it all. And so you and I can get our hopes up when we consider just the sheer magnitude and power of the God of the Scriptures. When you think about creation... When you think about the beauties of nature, when you think about the Grand Canyon or the ocean or the beaches, when you think about the snow in the seasons, when you think about all of the animal planet and why, why you watch Nat Geo. I don't know if anybody else is watching like National Geographic like I am. Uh, shout out to my YouTube TV subscribers that lost it because Disney and YouTube TV couldn't get along. And so now I don't have Nat Geo in my house. Pray for me over Christmas. Okay, um, I'm not going to chase that rabbit. Here we go. Actually, I'm not going to even watch a rabbit because we don't have Nat Geo anymore. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Stay with me here. The all of creation was, was created by God, was created by Jesus. He was there in the beginning. And so before there was a world in need of saving, there was actually a Savior who created the world. And not only did he create our world, but he created all the worlds. Anybody have a guess on how big the Milky Way galaxy is? This, this will blow your mind. I hope your brain melts out your ears 
when you hear this. The Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy, you know how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? They know this. This is really, really, ask an astrophysicist. Any astrophysicist in the room, identify yourself. Ask them. They can verify this. Okay, corroborate this. There are 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's a one with 12 zeros, folks. 100,000 million stars, and the Milky Way galaxy is one of the smaller galaxies. They know this. Do you know how many galaxies there are in the universe? At least 100,000 million galaxies in the universe. So to break this down, for every grain of sand on the planet, it represents thousands of stars per grain. That's how big the universe is. And John's John's message was, hey, find hope today because the God with the power and the magnitude to speak that into existence is is running your life. You don't have to worry about who's in the White House because you know in the church house we serve a God who is running our life. He's in control. He's, He's here. And we can get our hope up today no matter what's going on in the world because his order and his design is preaching to all of us. So I just want you to cast your mind to the bigness and the grandeur of the God that we serve, the God that we worship, the one that we just were on our feet singing to. He is massive and he's in control. And so you and I can sleep at night, amen, because he has planned it all. Long before there was a world in need of saving, there was a savior who created the entire universe. That's John's first picture. Number one reason we can get our hope up. He Goes a few verses later, just a few verses later, and he takes the magnitude of the creation, everything that we've seen, and he brings it down to size. In verse 14, he says these words. John writes, and he says in verse 14, and that word, that Messiah, it became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason that we can have hope rise in our hearts is because hope came down to our lives. We, we place it on our mantles with our nativity sets. We put it in our yards. We, we, we design our stages and we drive by it all the time. But don't, don't. Be desensitized to the reality that the God of the universe with power and magnitude worthy of worship and praise came into our world as a baby. He entered into our space. Now this is one of the reasons that Christianity is so distinct among other religions because this is a very ungodlike trait. If you look at world religions No God writes himself into the story like this. No God enters into the pain like this. No God enters into the grit. As a matter of fact, when it comes to other world religions, most of the other world religions, just to be honest, they are intimidated by the sin and the brokenness of humanity. But not our God. He gets right down in the middle of it. Maybe this year you feel like, does God even see me? Do I even matter? Am I I even known let the, let the reality that there is hope revealed in the cradle preach to you that God sees all the unknown spaces of our lives. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the things that make you sigh. He knows the things that keep you awake at night. And he came from eternity, stepped into humanity so that 
you and I might know he gets it. He understands. Think about the condescension of the God of the Bible to enter into our world. I mean, we would not even know the city of Bethlehem today if it wasn't for the fact that he was born there. Jesus of Nazareth, we wouldn't have even known the city of Nazareth if it wasn't for Jesus Christ growing up there. He entered into our world so that we might know that God's not scared to get his hands dirty with our lives. You've got brokenness, you've got shame, you've got baggage, you're here today. You need to know that God's not intimidated by it. Matter of fact, he'll jump right in it. The God of the Bible knows what manure smells like, friends. He gets it. There's dirt under his nails and there's calluses on his hands. As a matter of fact, there's actually scars on his hands because you see this baby didn't just remain a baby. He grew up and he lived a perfect life. And 33 and a half years later, he ends up doing something powerful. But I want to, before we move there, I just want you to see that we can find hope in the fact that he came down. I was reading on this in one Christian's testimony from the 1940s that was in a really, really difficult situation. This, this Christian, he was a pastor. He was a pastor, pastor in, in, in Germany. And he actually fled Germany when the rise of Adolf Hitler was taking place and he was able to flee to America. But he was so moved from the Holy Spirit that he said, I can't be here. I've got countrymen and, and, and the gospel needs to be proclaimed. So he snuck back into Germany. Uh, this, this pastor's name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You could read all about him. He's got some fantastic autobiography, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, he led a seminary kind of underground in the middle of what was going on in World War II, and he ends up getting arrested, and he was placed in a prison camp where he would later die in prison camp. But one of the things that he wrote so beautifully about from prison camp, multiple Christmases, he was there, and he had a chance to think about the hope found in Jesus coming to earth when, when you're not, when you're not distorted at Christmas by all of the pomp and circumstances of the gift giving and the card buying and all of that, when you're literally just in prison camp and you can't buy gifts or receive gifts, you just literally have the hope of the gospel to cling to, he wrote these words. I want you to see them. He said this, God is in the manger, wealth in poverty, light in darkness, succor in abandonment. And so now he concludes, no evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and rules our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer found hope in the fact that God came here. I hope you'll get your hopes up every single time you consider Emmanuel, the God who is with us that we see in the nativity sets that, that decorate our homes and our neighborhoods and that we'd really recognize that it's way more than just the nativity set. It's the reality that God, he can be trusted. He can relate. He empathizes. He feels. He knows exactly what you've gone through. And you can put your trust and hope in him this Christmas season. And you can get your hopes up. If that's good for anybody and that ministered to you, would you say a good amen? Amen. The third picture that John gives us in his first chapter of John 1 is found in verse 29. Because like we were saying, that, that, that baby grew up to be a man. And in verse 29, that, that man had begun a ministry. And, and you may know the story, but Jesus shows up and he starts to do miracles and he starts to preach and he starts to proclaim. And, and he makes the connection with all these Old Testament prophetic pictures of Messiah 
And, and John, the disciple, actually records something that John the Baptist said when Jesus showed up. This was after John had baptized Jesus. He shows up, he's walking through, kind of in the mix, and, and John testifies in John 1.29. Look what he says in John 1.29. He says this, the next day, John the Baptist is the he here, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said these words. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the Messiah was, was going to take away the sin of the world. And he, he clearly points, instead of it being just an idea that the Old Testament talked about, he says, There he is, right there. There's the Lamb of God. We've been worshiping with sacrificial lambs for thousands of years, there's the Lamb of God that's going to cause us to never sacrifice another lamb as long as we live. That's him. The, the one that atones for us annually so that we might be able to remain in relationship with God, this one's going to atone for us for all eternity so we can live in relationship with him forever. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's another reason you and I can get our hope up this Christmas season. Hope is revealed in the fact that Jesus died on a cross. Hope is revealed in this reality. He didn't just come. The reason that we have a manger and the reason that the nativity is even a thing is because he grew up to die on a cross. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is because Christ died on a cross. He died for you and me. I, I love the fact that I meet men and women that have not gotten over that. Can I ask you something? Have you gotten over the fact that he died on the cross for you? He's not just a theoretical savior for theoretical sin. He's, he's my savior. He died for my sins. As a dad, I try to teach my kids this. I, you know, I'm talking to them about Jesus, and, and I just, I'm just unpacking it for them. And I'm like, baby, you understand that I deserve death. Dad and mom, you know, I'm a pastor, but I blow it all the time, and I deserve death. And Jesus died for me. And friend, he died for you too. He died for you. He died to deliver you. He died to redeem you. He died on the cross so that you might be unburdened. I love that picture of delivery, of being unburdened. Let me ask a question real quick. How many of you are still waiting on a package to be delivered by Amazon over the next couple of days? Show of hands, okay? Show of hands. Me too, okay? Delivered. I'm, I'm confessing before my wife. She's in this service. I have ordered something. I have ordered something that I'm hoping gets here on time. So, Corey, I hope it makes it on time, babe. I want you to be able to open it up, but they've told me it might not get here on time. So, um, I, please, Amazon, please get here, okay? Uh, delivered, all right? So, we know what a delivery is, but if you study the origin of that word, it's actually a a livestock word. Um, if you've grown up around horses, or maybe you know this, you, you used to take the horse to a livery. It was there at the livery that they would deliver your horse. They would unburden the horse by the saddle, or, or the mule, or the donkey by the thing it was carrying. You would deliver it. We, we see a picture of Mary and Joseph making the trek to Bethlehem when she's pregnant in this season, and, and you get the... the the donkey gets there and it gets delivered. It gets unburdened. I want you to know something. Jesus Christ died on the cross so you could be unburdened from your sin. He died on the cross so you could be unburdened from the condemnation of the enemy. You're not good enough. You're always going to fail. You're not, you're not, you're not going to make it. You're, you're, you're not worth it. 
The, the cross is practical, friends. I don't know why we've made it so difficult, but it's so simple. God wants you to know you can stand uncondemned and unashamed, and he can remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. You can get your hope up because you've been delivered of the burden. You can stand up tall and sing with, with a pure heart this Christmas season that there is joy to the world because he has brought joy to you, and you have been delivered. That is another reason to get your hopes up. The third reason. Now the fourth and final is found in verse 41 of John's first chapter. And it's crazy that these pictures are all there. We've got the picture of the God of creation. We've got the picture of, of the God of the cradle. We've got the picture of the God of the cross. But the, the fourth and final picture is actually where the connection is made that Jesus Christ is the king. He's the king. And so what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to have been ministering and John points him out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and Jesus is going to start to build a group of followers. One of these followers is a man named Andrew. And Andrew was a good Jew. He knew about Messiah. He knew who Messiah was. And he knew that they were looking and searching throughout all of history for Messiah. And he, after spending less than a day with Jesus makes the decision, this is the king, this is the man, this is the one, Jesus is Messiah. And upon hanging out with Jesus for a day, he runs to find his brother. You and I know his brother. Anybody remember who Andrew's brother is? It's Peter. He runs to find his brother Simon Peter, and he tells him in chapter 1, verse 41, those exact words. He says this, he first found his own brother Simon Peter, and he says to him, look at these words, he says, we have found Messiah, which means what, church? Which means Christ. So maybe you've never heard this, but I remember the first time somebody said this and it just sticks. It's kind of an earworm. Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. He was not born to Mary and Joseph Christ. Christ was Messiah. Christ was the connection to hope. And so when Andrew goes to Simon and he says, we have found Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He was making a rich connection that changed everything. He was, he was saying he's the king. He's the king we've been waiting for. He's the king that granddaddy told us about and that mama raised us talking about. He's, he's the king that, that, that mama told us we needed to, to, to know. He's the one. He's the one. We can put our hope in him because hope is not just an idea. Look at me. Hope is a person. Hope is a person. It's Jesus the Christ. He's, he's the hope for you. He's the hope for me. He's the hope for our families. He's the hope for our state, South Carolina. He's the hope for our cities. He's the hope for re redemption. He's the hope for eternity. He is our hope. Hope is revealed. Check this out. Hope is revealed when you and I crown him king of our lives too. This is the decision that we get to make. And every single time you make this decision, hope erupts, overflows, cascades. It can't remain in the history books. It's still a living hope. He's still alive today. And in 2021, he's worthy of us crowning him. I've been really 
trying to teach my kids some classic old tunes that are so good. We ride to school in the morning. The girls, they go to school, and they ride with me. And I've been introducing them to some old hymns. I mean, we don't sing a lot of hymns. I grew up singing hymns, but, you know, we sing some hymns. And so one of the ones that we sing in the car is, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem, and what does it say? And crown him Lord of all. Can you imagine that sound of the throne room of God? Somebody walks into the throne room and, and just declares, bring forth the royal diadem. Somebody walks out with the crown. Maybe it's on a beautiful, beautiful pillow. And they take it and they put it on the head of King Jesus. Hey, friend, that's happened. When he defeated sin and death, the Bible records that he's sitting on a throne in heaven right now and he is crowned with the diadem, the crown. And so we get to respond by crowning him with our lives. We get to make the decision, is he actually who he says he is? Is he actually who the scriptures say he is? Is he worthy of, of the crown of my life? Am I going to de declare with my life, crown him, crown him? I was encouraged by the story in the wrestle of, a, of an atheist in the 19. 40s and 50s trying to decide if he was going to crown him. This was an educated guy. He actually was an Oxford scholar over in London, and he was wrestling with whether or not Jesus was who he says he was. He had read the scriptures, and he's wrestling the historical, extra-biblical stuff to the ground, and he came to, you really only can make three conclusions when you and I are wrestling with this. Here, here's his three conclusions. They're actually famous. They're known as the trilemma. It's like dilemma two, trilemma three. There's three decisions that we all can make. Here's what he decided as an atheist. He said, you can either decide that Jesus is a liar. Nope. Everything you've been reading, Gospel of John, those are lies. Everything we've been singing, lies. You can make that conclusion. He's a liar. There's been liars, religious figures that are liars. There's still religious people today that are liars, okay? Amen? Uh, they're out there. Jesus could be one of those liars. Or, second conclusion you could come to, he's not a liar. Maybe perhaps he is a lunatic. Jesus is crazy. We've all probably met somebody that's a little off the rocker. There's been religious figures that have been off the rocker. Jesus could be one of those. He's just a lunatic. He thinks he's God. He's told people he's God. The man's crazy. Stay away from him. Distance yourself. Or the third conclusion, he's Lord. You could come to the conclusion that no, he's Lord. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Now watch this. Leave that up there for a moment. What you cannot come to the conclusion is he was a really good moral teacher. He was a really good influencer 2,000 years ago that started a really good moral teaching. His teaching doesn't leave you room for that because no good moral teacher calls themselves God. And Jesus said, I'm God. He doesn't leave room for that. So we have to conclude he's either a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And we're going to crown him. He's worth it all. He really is the one who created it all. He really joined us in our filth and brokenness. And he came as a babe and he died 33 years later on the cross for my sins and yours to unburden us. And he really is been crowned the king in an eternity future. We're going we're gonna to worship him because he is the king who's worthy to be praised. This is why Paul writes to the church in Philippians chapter 2, and you're going to see all four of these images in Paul's letter to the Philippians church. This is a really famous passage. You might even recognize the words, but I want you to look for Paul writing with the understanding that 
God, Jesus, is Messiah, the creator, the one who came in the cradle, the one who died on the cross, and the one who is worthy to crown. Let's read this together. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. It says this, Hey, church, Christian, saint, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So if you're a saint, this is the way we ought to think. Who though was in the form God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he was God. He created it all. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. There's the cradle. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the cross. Now watch this king language here. Therefore God has highly exalted him and he's bestowed on him the name, that's king language, that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's king response right there. And every tongue should confess Jesus the Christ is the Lord. And every time we do that, that's to the glory of God the Father. You see how it's there. This is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is a story of worship. It's where our hope is found. Where you crown and where you have your hope, they'll always trend together. And so here's what we're going to do for a few moments. We're going to remain in our seats and we're going to just wrestle this one to the ground. I want to create some space for you to wrestle this. Have you crowned him? Has there been a moment in your life where you've said, yes, I declare him as Lord, not just because I'm in the South or just because I was raised in church or because my wife drags me to this, you know, Christmas service once a year. But no, I'm really going to crown him. He's worth it all. And we've got to all answer the question, is he worthy? So I want to invite you to sit back and, and wrestle with the lyrics of this next song. And, and as, you, as you decide or you have decided to place the crown on his head again, Respond naturally, whatever comes to you. Respond like the king's in the room, if he's your king, because he is. Let me pray for us, and we'll respond. Father God, thank you for this beautiful, rich picture of your power and splendor and might that we get at Christmas time. You created the universe, but you didn't just create the universe and boom from heaven. You entered in as a babe in the cradle. You entered into our filth and our brokenness, our, our dysfunction, our sin. And then you lived a perfect life and died a perfect death for us to deliver us, to unburden us. Wow, you took my place. And now you offer to us this incredible opportunity to become who we've been created to be. Worshippers of you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So God, move in our hearts today that we might in 2021 make the decision to crown you with our lives. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. You are the King. We respond in worship now as we consider it all. In your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen.